The Pace Line has been known as a pretty clean show. Well, that's about to change. Tom Dumoulin, we can relate. If there has ever been proof of a divine being, I am pretty sure that was it because it was a miracle toilet from heaven. And I was okay. And Patrick finds miles of single track in Clinton country. How much more is there? Oh, you have days of riding uh, ahead of you for sure. I'm excited that you, you get to experience it, but um, I'd say you're, you're probably within riding distance, again, from our shop in downtown uh, of a good 70, uh, probably 70 or 80 miles of single track. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to show number 69. And I'm not even going to make a joke because really it's just too darn easy with me. Patrick Brady, the publisher of Red Kite Prayer and Hottie. And I am, of course, Fatty. Guys, how are you doing today? Pretty great. I, uh, yeah. I want to thank you for refraining from all uh, references to our show number. It's very, very good of you. <laughs> very adult of you, Fatty. <laughs> It really is. It's. It, I, I am quite mature, and that's why our first segment is going to be about poop. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I guess. Never mind the sexual references. Let's go straight to the toilet here on the pace line. Yeah. Potty talk on the pace line. The podcast on two wheels. Snatching you, defeat from the jaws of victory <laughs> yet again. <laughs> oh, man. And, and the thing is... It, it is a conversation that I think is worth having because if there is a writer in the world who has been out there and had an emergency, um, they, know, they know what we're talking about. And the difference is most people don't have a helicopter and a professional camera team watching it happen. We'll talk about that in just a second. But first... If you haven't already subscribed to the show, for heaven's sake, go to Google Play or SoundCloud or Stitcher or iTunes, rate us, review us, then come right back. And one little aside here, you know who has rated us and reviewed us in person? We have two new number one fans, if, mm. if that's possible. They're okay. twins, so I think both of them can claim to be the number one fans. They are five-year-old boys based in... Leadville, Colorado. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> of course. Of course. We are big in Leadville. Uh, Miles and Emmett, um, their father actually recently reached out to me and said, as opposed to uh, bedtime stories, you know, with books, he lets them listen to the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. <laughs> well, now and we got to make sure we keep it clean. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I think it's actually appropriate. If a couple of five-year-old boys are listening, then it really ought to be the poop joke episode, right? <laughs> we are, this is our demographic, guys. But you know what? Um, one, of the, one of the twins, uh, Miles, actually um, recorded an intro for us. Let's go ahead and listen to that. I'm Miles from Manville, Colorado. We're listening to the Bound us on two wheels with Patrick. 
That's right. So that's Miles <laughs> from Leadville, Colorado. I could hear podcast about, on two wheels. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, when you're five and you are, you know, he he did an awesome job, and I thought it was fantastic that he uh, that he would uh, even want to be on our show. So yeah, there you go. Um, thanks, Miles. Thanks, Emmett. It's awesome to have you guys be our uh, be be our listeners. In fact. Apart from our own kids and parents, you, you may be our only listeners. Who knows? Patrick, you have kids about that age. Do they listen to the show? Oh, heavens no. No. The stuff <laughs> dad does is, is uh, I you know, the only things I do that are cool are with bikes. So when I'm physically with a bike, then I'm all right. If I'm with a computer, no. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Maybe you might want to trade your kids in for these ones. That's all I'm <laughs> <No>. saying. <laughs> I've considered it. <laughs> Oh, so anyway, there you go. Uh, th- that is that is uh, Miles and Emmett. Awesome to hear from them. Yes. Thanks, guys. We say good night and- to Miles and Emmett. That's what we should say because they're probably listening right now. So Miles and Emmett, good night. Yeah, and thanks for listening. And now we're going to talk about poop. <laughs> here, here is what triggered this particular um, topic. Uh, if you guys have been following the Giro d'Italia and Frankly, who isn't? You must have seen the video of Dumoulin and the fact that he's in the pink jersey and he's riding his heart out and suddenly he pulls off to the side of the road and he is running down the hill, tearing off his jersey, which oddly enough appears to not be a full zip because he you know pulls it off over his head. And then mercifully, at least in the in the version that I've seen, you know, they cut away. But it is real obvious that he is putting the urgency in emergency, right? Mm-hmm. And it is not a great moment for him. Loses a couple of minutes. But who among us has not been there? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got a story about this, Fatty, don't you? I do. In fact, one of my very most popular posts in fatcyclist.com was called How I Got the Daisy. And the the daisy in this case is a totem that everyone in the group ride around the white rim knew about because that was a, the totem that the person who was riding sweep would carry. And if you stopped being the person riding sweep, the person in last uh, you would, you know, hand off the daisy. And this is just a stuffed novelty daisy that you could attach to your um, handlebar quite easily, by the way. You would hand it off to the person. That way we always knew who the last rider was. It's a safety measure as well as just kind of a fun thing to do. Sounds like uh, a great idea. It is a great idea. It's a great way to, if you have a big group and not everyone knows everyone, to just keep easy tabs on who is riding sweep. And that way no one gets left behind. I was not riding sweep. I did not have the daisy. However, about 85 miles into this ride, I caught up with the um, the, the truck that uh, had all of our ice chests and so forth in it. And in that ice chest, I had uh, a couple of Cokes, a Mountain Dew. It is 104 out. You know, I'm exaggerating, but not by much. And I also had some Starbucks double shots, um, those little cans that have a double shot of espresso with cream and sugar. And when you are 
looking for a quick hit of energy, there is nothing quite so nice. But 85 miles into a ride where you are already dehydrated may not be the best time to drink those as a chaser to, you know, a fully caffeinated uh, Coke and Mountain Dew. I drink two of those double shots, not really thinking about what that might cause. Five miles later, I am suffering. I am feeling that something is about to go down, as it were. Mm. <laughs> and I am in on the white rim. You need to understand this is the most open, exposed place in the world. And it's not like you can go off the trail, hide behind a tree, and dig a hole. You're on sandstone. And, <laughs> mm. and it is desert like a Roadrunner cartoon landscape. <laughs> oh, there was... There was nowhere to hide, as it were. And I look over to my wife and I say, are there any more porta potties or more permanent potties between here and the end? And actually, the end wouldn't help because the end was just a arbitrary place where a car was parked. It wasn't like there was a bathroom at the end either. And she says, I don't think so. I don't. And I was going from feeling uncomfortable, to feeling urgent, to feeling like I didn't have any choice in the matter. And I was a fuse and that fuse was lit. And, <laughs> right? Oh. And I, it was desperate, desperate times for me. And then guys, the most beautiful side in the world. A toilet, a porta potty, um, you know, w one of those, you know, cinder block arrangements that are, you know, basically go up and around a pit toilet. There was one more toilet on the trail. I have never sprinted like I've sprinted then, and I have never been so happy to see that there was a toilet. If there has ever been proof of a divine being i am pretty sure that was it because it was a miracle toilet from heaven and i was okay but <laughs> wow meaning that i was okay i didn't soil myself but i will never ever drink uh two double shots on while dehydrated and tired with an empty stomach you know the caffeine hit me or you know and i guess there's discussion about whether that the caffeine really makes you need to go. But for me, coffee makes me need to go. And Everyone on an I know stomach, has that I belief. I mean, there's something to it. Yes, yes. And anyway, I was in there long enough that I eventually became the person who needed to keep the daisy. I, the last person finally did go by, and my wife is out there saying, yeah, go ahead. No, Fatty, Fatty's still in there. No, yeah, keep going. Okay, yeah, you better give us the daisy. I've never been so happy to get a daisy in my life because <laughs> that daisy represented a victory of another form, and that is my poop story. Mm. <laughs> and wow. Now, if you ever meet Tom Dumoulin, you have a story to swap with him. That's right. You know... I am so glad that there was not a drone or helicopter or what have you on my tail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that poor guy. Well, this is the yeah. very How about reason. You guys? This is the very reason I get up uh, for all longish or longer training rides or races at least two hours before mm -hmm. I roll on the bike um, to prevent. Yeah. To prevent such emergencies. Now that doesn't always. Uh, it's not a foolproof method, but it's. 
generally worked. I uh, give myself yeah. two hours and things are, let's say we're empty by then. Uh, but uh, a couple of little tips, I guess you could call it. First, always know where all the bathrooms are along your ride because you never know. Second of all, um, if you're not certain about where the next public restroom might be, um, I always look for uh, the better neighborhoods. Um, Ride into a nice neighborhood. Why? Because people with money like to make improvements on their homes. And that means construction crews. And that means portos. (laughs) Lots of them. So like the, the areas of Brentwood... Pacific Palisades, Palos Verdes, Beverly Hills, those communities that are, those are communities all near me, um, go, riding in and through those communities, pretty safe bet you're going to find a freebie somewhere. You're going to find something uh, where you can take care of an emergency. Um, my other little thing that I always do on mountain bike rides, where generally you're not going to find facilities, is if I am going to carry a camelback, there is some toilet paper in that camelback um, for Mm. the occasional nature break um, Mm -hmm. that could be outdoors. So uh, for those emergency purposes and the preventive measures, uh, try to avoid those situations where you can. But a couple of tips there, yeah. But uh, I'm glad you made it out safe, Fatty. (laughs) Daisy or not. And I would would add that as long as you're wearing socks and gloves, you've always got toilet paper. Mm. Oh, Wow. I do carry a hanky at all times. I mean, I do have that. It's not for, it's not with that in mind. Usually, I just don't, you know, got salt on my eyes or wipe my glasses. But I always carry a hanky too. So yeah, another good tip. I have a hanky at all times. Ah, huh. your your idea is better than mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Patrick? Um, I'm almost afraid to speak because I've been so fortunate. I'm looking for anything gonna... made from wood right now, so that I can knock on. Oh, here we go. Um. I, you know, I've been crazy fortunate. I've always managed to find some place. Uh, one of the things I was told by my mom years ago, uh, I, well, I kind of found out through my sister, but my mom had taught my sister that if you're out and about and you suddenly have a call from nature uh, to drive to the nearest hotel, because they'll always have clean bathrooms. And uh, so that's something I've kind of kept in the back of my head, but I couldn't tell you the last time I got caught out. But um, I'm going to ride tomorrow, so things <laughs> things seem destined to change right now. Look out, karma. <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. I think you um, brought down the jinx. For f- The reason why we are usually in a safe zone is, doesn't our sympathetic nerve system take over when we're riding hard enough that... All that other stuff just shuts down, right? That's why we're able to ride as long as we can and not have to constantly be pulling over and relieving ourselves all the time. So I don't know if riding harder could have been the answer for you or for Tom Dumoulin. You think Tom Dumoulin would have been riding hard enough in the Giro that this wouldn't happen, but... What I heard was he he was having stomach distress, so that's a a different matter entirely. Yeah, the GI tract is going to do what it needs to do when it's it's urgent. I know that... uh, uh, Bob Roll, actually, in his book, wrote yes. a famous piece on, I think it was Tour de France, wasn't it, Patrick? Yep, Where he, 86 Tour. He surprised yeah. the hell out of some picnickers with his sudden urge while in the pack. Good well, and the, and the best part was, you know, he's he's finishing up turns 
oh, there's a whole family having a picnic six feet away. (laughs) And as he stands up, he grabs some of their napkins, you know, grabs a handful of napkins, uh, you know, leaves that behind and then grabs a handful of cake as he's hightailing it back to his bike. <laughs> oh, and there there is a good anecdote uh, told in Slaying the Badger about Lamond yep. and what he used as toilet paper. I think were brochures or something like that. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but this is... Uh, yeah, a, a, I, there was a, a non-standard uh, material. A, you know, and you know... So it happens. That in every major race, this is happening. It just, when it happens to the leader, everyone knows. But I'll bet you in the pack, this goes on more than we even realize. That guys are pulling out or pulling off, and suddenly, hey, why is that good rider like 20 minutes off the back? I bet you it happens more than we... Than we even realize. So there's another Le Mans story, and it's from 1990. And uh, he he's aware that he's going to need to go at some point. But he's thinking, well, you know, I'm feeling a little bloated. Maybe I can just um, off gas a bit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe that'll kind of, you know, ease the distension of my belly and I'll be able to get to a, a more suitable location. And uh, turns out, as sometimes happens, um, he was mistaken. And uh, suddenly, his chamois was full. Mm. And uh, his sh- the contents of his chamois were dripping onto his rear oh. tire. And there, there was a day um, where there was a, a brief helicopter shot of the tour... And you could see this tear, empty teardrop formation behind LeMond. <laughs> he was just, casting a shadow, as it were. Yes, yes. No one would ride immediately behind him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there are, there are some uh, pretty, oh, man, I just, just, you know, the, the dedication of a pro, you don't really want to live that. The stuff they put up with, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Ah, wow. Well, um, I I have had to scramble down the side of a hill uh, during the Crusher and the Tusher, which, of course, I wrote about in my blog. Um, and, you know, that was during a race. There there were no porta-potties anywhere in sight at that time. Oh. Um, and, yeah, I mean, stuff does happen. And usually not during a race, not during a hard event, which makes the exception that much more alarming and distressing and frankly horrible. Yeah. And I'm tempted to forego the usual part of our segments where we ask our listeners to tell us their own stories. (laughs) But, you know, turnabout's fair play. I would say, guys, go ahead. Leave us a comment telling us your own poop story on a bike. Mm. And... One final note on this segment before we go to the mid-roll. Miles and Emmett's parents, we are so sorry that we had put this segment <laughs> in the same one where we had uh, the entire next week in their household. There's going to be oh, one subject goodness. discussed. We are the worst podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> Quite clearly. All right, that's going to take us to the mid-roll, to the part where we uh, ask you to stick around for the next minute or so, and then we are going to talk a little bit about 
where Patrick is and what he is doing, and it's worth hearing the stories. That's next on The Face Line. I needed to, uh, to take a, a dump, and uh, yeah, I could not hold it anymore. It was after the first time Stelvio, I started to feel it in a downhill, and uh, yeah, I just had to stop. It was not possible to continue anymore. We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. We trust that you've had enough time for a potty break. Patrick, hottie, and fatty with you here. Patrick, where the heck are you? I'm in Arkansas. Arkansas? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had the opportunity to visit Allied Cycle Works and uh, get a tour of the place and, you know, talk to some of the, uh, the principals there, you know, spend some time with Tony Carklins, the CEO spent some more time with Sam Pickman, who's the head of engineering, plus some of their other staff. Uh, we went over some of the details of the bike that I'm about to review. I'm going to be on an alpha all road next week. Um, mm -hmm. It's, I mean, this thing's coming together at the 11th and a half hour uh, for Dirty Kanza, which is a week from Saturday. And it's a, it's going to be a pretty stinking neat bike, but it's really coming down to the wire and getting this thing ready. But um, yeah, I got a, a tour of the facility. They're just outside of downtown Little Rock. Uh, pretty neat neighborhood, close to a really, really cool neighborhood. It's been a long time since I've visited Little Rock. It was the 1980s. And you know, that town, it, you know, it was all it, among southern cities. It was a place I liked, and uh, it's really come around nicely. There's a, a brand new bike slash cafe that's going to be opening on June 7th called Meteor. And uh, Doug Zell, one of the principals behind Intelligentsia Coffee, uh, he's, uh, if not the owner, then one of the owners. Uh, he's very involved with the operation. It's a cool, cool place in an old historic building. So got to check that out briefly. Um, I also spent 
45 minutes laying up a carbon fiber top tube. Um, I would hereby like to announce that it afterward it went in the trash, so no cyclists <laughs> are going to be hurt in the making of that top tube. Mm. Uh, <laughs> or, um, or in the riding with that top tube. Well. <laughs> well, you know, I figured I'd take one for the team, and you know, if it's if it's bad, then it would just be you know my neck on the line. But we all decided better of it. That said, the job I did, I'm told, was actually pretty good. It probably would have been more or less serviceable is the impression that I get. But when you can... That was sweet of them to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not a big ego here, but it is easily stroked. Um, <laughs> so, Patrick, we've so, been seeing Allied a lot in the national publications. I mean, they've blitzed the national... They've had a nice marketing campaign going right now. Yeah. Can you sense the energy there at Allied? What's it what's it what's the vibe like there right now? Everyone who works there is beyond stoked. They have uh an, I think a fair number of people who did time at Orbea and worked under Tony there, Tony Carklins. Uh he was, you know, the original importer of Orbea mm-hmm. here into the US and then, you know, he owned Orbea USA outright for a while and then sold it back to Orbea as a subsidiary of theirs. And they, they are super, super stoked about what it is they're doing. That it's not just that, Oh, we're making bikes, but you know, this is an American bike and you know, we're doing things that show that it is possible to, shall we say, rewire the bike industry. Um, Sam Pickman told me flat out, I will never work for another bike company that does not produce their goods in the U.S. And that came following, uh, you know, we were talking about his, uh, you know, his interest in in uh, in what Allied could uh, could offer. And, you know, he said for him initially that, you know, it was all about the engineering. It was all about managing to do things that he couldn't do when he was at Specialized. Uh, things that he wouldn't have been able to do really at any other bike company. So this isn't just some knock against Specialized. It was just a limitation of being an American company working with a Taiwanese factory. And he was fed up with that. And he wanted to find a way uh, to eliminate some of those fundamental problems. Along the way, he came to appreciate what having an American workforce did, what being an American company does for them, uh, you know, what it means for, you know, pumping uh, capital into a community, you know, and being a real part of a community. Those are all things that were kind of emergent benefits uh, in his eyes. He was, you know, like I said, he was really just there for the engineering initially. Mm -hmm. But it's become something that's very meaningful for him. And so it was really interesting to get that through his eyes, you know, since it's different from the very purpose that Tony Carklin's set out with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's obvious that, you know, Tony's leadership is getting significant buy-in from his workforce. You know, these are people who really came to believe in him when he was leading Orbea USA. Hmm. So that place is fired up and they are so excited to really be in full production. They're, they're making bikes, they're shipping bikes, you know, and not just to the media, you know, but one of the things they've done is rather than go whole gangbusters on the U S and building out, you know, their, their dealer network, they have turned 
you know, even as they're, they're, you know, getting some accounts here in the U.S., they're looking at uh, Taiwan, Japan, the Philippines, um, and, you know, they're, they're about to start in South America. And so they're lining up dealers there and already shipping bikes. Uh, Tony told me that, you know, of all the sizes that they're producing, the 52 is the most backordered because they're doing so well in Asia. Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's nothing. There's nothing wrong with a bike made in Taiwan, folks. But what Allied and HIA, as their, their company is known as, is able to do is to take an idea, take something that's on the drawing board or in the engineering stages, and quickly move it into production. They can make their ideas quicker, happen quicker, faster than what the the model we're seeing now, which is engineers sitting in the U.S having to send their ideas overseas or then things get built and bring things back over here and then there are, there are problems or if there are issues, then trying to turn that back around and do that again. Tony and his gang at, at Ally, they've got it all right in front of them there. They can turn things over as fast as they can. And what the only hiccup for years has been the cost of doing business here, and Tony has found a way to, to negate that, or Allied has, so... I mean, great. And it's great to see now that bikes are coming out. So what what do we have for models from them? We know about the Alpha. That was the, the one they launched with. What else do they have coming out of that factory? They're also doing a custom model called the Echo. Echo. And that's essentially the old uh, Guru Photon, which was a, a, you know, a super light custom uh-huh. bike, tube-to-tube construction. And the Echo is estimated it's going to be probably 10% of their output. You know, it's going to be a pretty minor part of what they do. They are, by and large, a production bike company with the ability to do custom, you know, where necessary. Um, so what's this but, bike you're going to ride for Kanzo? How is that? Where is that? So what's on the website right now, you know, the Alpha and the Echo, there will soon be an Alpha All Road, which will be a very similar bike to the Alpha but with much greater tire clearance, you know, at least 38s. And if you play it right, 40s. Good. So And disc? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, disc, yeah. Uh, flat mount. Um, and it's, it, you know, I've, I've gotten to see they were just uh, bonding the seat stays and chain stays to the main triangle when I was there. So I got to see that process, take a few photographs and... You know, I, I got to look the frame over pretty closely. And yeah, it's got great clearance uh, on paper. The geometry looks really interesting. I'm really excited about this bike. Can't wait to get on it. I mean, like the first thing I want to do after I've done Kansas is to get back home, ride out to Occidental, climb Coleman Valley, and then immediately descend Willow Creek. I want to bomb Willow Creek on this bike and see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Just so excited to do this. Yeah. Nice. They're doing killer work. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, you got to ride around the area a little bit? On, uh, on that a... evening, yeah. We went up for a spin that evening around Little Rock. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the Allied employees, uh, George, uh, who is uh, a listener of ours, uh, a fan of ours, amazingly. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, incredible things happen every day, right, folks? Hi, George. <laughs> Um, so we had a, a great time going for a ride on this network of bike paths around Little Rock. Uh, went to check out a little bit of the local training crit that happens on Tuesday nights there. You know, met another former Orbea USA employee 
And then uh, uh, while hanging out there, um, this other fellow, Gilbert, showed up, and he is the executive chef, chef for the Clinton Foundation. Mm. So the Clinton Library uh, that's there in Little Rock, whenever they have events, they also have a, a, a restaurant there that's open some hours every day. He's the chef for that. And then there's a penthouse on the top of this building, which is where Bill Clinton lives when he's in Little Rock. Mm -hmm. And Gilbert serves as Clinton's personal chef when he's around. Neat, neat guy. Love talking food with him. You know, he's got a really fascinating perspective on it. And uh, he is, I, I believe, Hispanic. Uh, Alakinez is his last name. Mm. And... You know, still, he's got a great perspective on Southern food, Southern cooking. We had a lot of fun having some beers and dinner and just talking food that evening. Uh, they took me around to a couple different spots. Um, Little Rock, there are some folks who know how to produce good beer. And uh, that, was, that was a pretty neat part of the experience. And then the next morning, <laughs> I got up and I drove to Bentonville. And so I'm here in Bentonville now, which is the northwest corner of Arkansas, the Ozarks. And I've now done uh, two days of riding um, on the trail system here in Bentonville, which uh, for anyone who's been reading about, uh, you know, kind of the hot spots for mountain biking in the U.S., Bentonville is pretty much on, uh, on everybody's tongues. And it was the site of the Imba World Summit um, earlier this year, or was it late last year? Uh, the most recent Imba World Summit was here. And that's that was at the point I was talking with their development director, Amy Ross, and she was raving about it. And that was the thing that kind of put me over the edge was that I know she has a lot of knowledge of different, uh, different you know, mountain bike meccas, her husband, Nat Ross, you know, big time pro, general, all around badass. Uh, he told her at the end of the World Summit that it was one of the top three places he'd ever ridden in his life. And so while I'd been hearing good things from other friends, at that point, it was like, okay, when I get a chance, I need to check this out. And so once I knew I was going to Little Rock for uh, the visit with Allied, I was like, well, I got to take a couple days and drive up there and do that. And boy, has this place not disappointed. It's phenomenally good riding. You know, they, they've got professional trail crews building trail here. They've got 80 miles of trail, single track built right now. They've got a couple little bike parks and, you know, pump tracks. There's right next to a school, just, just out of downtown. I found a little, uh, probably, I don't know, half mile, sort of pump track right next to a school, you know, just wow. winding through the woods. And, you know, uh, kids, when they get out of school, they can get on these trails to ride home. And the school programs here have bikes. There are more than 500 bikes in the schools here in Little Rock. And, you know, they keep buying more bikes uh, from the local shops. Fat Tire Bike Shop, which is where my rental has come from, uh, they're helping out the schools as much as they can. They've been getting assistance from Trek uh, to help make it as affordable as possible. And right now, as it stands, Bentonville has 80 miles of single track. 
next January, the breaking ground on another 60 miles. So it's, it's just incredible. This is, this is how to put it. I've never seen a town integrate mountain bike trails into the community the way this is done. I mean, I, I adore Santa Cruz and, uh, you know, there are just so many great mountain bike towns, uh, around the country. And this is unlike anything I have ever seen. Awesome. Hmm. So why do you suppose that, that is? I mean, what, what has, I mean, what has brought, uh, what has brought this kind of momentum to this town? There are a few different things. One, a lot of credit goes to Tom Walton of the, the Walmart Waltons. And he wanted to start building trails. And mm-hmm. so he was one of the first people to get behind it. Uh, there have been some other people who volunteered and started helping. And someone managed to sell the city on the idea that, you know, kind of field of dream style. If you build it, they will come. There were a couple of different things going on. The, the powers that be at Walmart um, were courting more and more of their biggest vendors to uh, open offices in Bentonville. Hmm. And they wanted to make Bentonville a more livable place. And so... Part of that was, you know, well, you know, building all sorts of amenities, you know, parkland, building these mountain bike trails. And so it's been sold as something that improves the quality of life and, you know, helps to bring people to the town. Uh, In 12 years, they went from 26,000 to about 40,000. So it's growing very rapidly. And as, as these big vendors for Walmart open new offices there so that they can, you know, be in negotiations more readily. You know, they've got employees coming in from different parts of the country. And so we could talk about a sort of bluing of Bentonville. It's a very progressive community. There's still a slice of kind of old South present. Uh, The restaurant I was in last night, there was a guy with a red make America great hat, you know, make America great again hat. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, this is very much a southern city, but this influx of population uh, has made it a much more progressive place. And, you know, you see, um, I'm told that, you know, some years back there were only two or three restaurants uh, on the town square, and now there are 16. And the quality of food has gone way up. And there are breweries here in town. Um, and so... You know, it's it's a much more interesting place to be, and yet it's got uh, a really family uh, family oriented atmosphere. Uh, I'm told it's a great place to raise kids, and it's you know yeah it's growing, and they're they're funding uh, schools, so the quality of the education is good here. I mean, I I'm sort of shocked to say this, but I can't find anything. That makes me go, oh, this is just unthinkable. Yeah, hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, pretty hot this summer, and it's uh, uh, it's humid. And you know, if you're allergic, like I am, you know, there there's gonna be an issue there. But 
it really, I mean, once you ride the trails, it'll just blow your mind. I went out yesterday with uh, the manager from Fat Tire Bike Shop, uh, Max Sawyer, and he's a Dallas transplant. So, you know, I was getting to see it through an actual transplant's eyes, somebody who, you know, wasn't originally part of there and has just completely fallen in love with the town. So, yeah, let's, let's play that interview. So I'm with Max Sawyer of Fat Tire Bike Shop, and we're in the trail system, just right on the outskirts of Bentonville, Arkansas. Max, uh, for our listeners back home who haven't been here yet, uh, tell them a little bit about this trail system that we've been riding. Yeah, so we are on what we consider the urban trails. It's Slaughter Pen. It's the one's closest to downtown Bentonville. So. It's the one that if you come in, uh, rent a bike from our shop, that you can be on the trails in about two or three minutes just to cruise through downtown. Uh, it's good, good. It's in like three phases, about 23 miles of everything you want, from some, uh, some good downhill flowy stuff to some technical rock riding, and uh, super accessible. We talked a little bit about how it's as hard as you want it to be or as easy as you want it to be so it really takes care of a, a lot of riders in the area i've been amazed at you know the work that the trail crews have done here you know every time there's a more technical feature a drop or one of the wooden features that they've built there's always a line around for somebody who wants to just have a chance to look at it before they hit it um so it's you know that's been a, a really exciting thing to see you know, for people who want to be developing uh, their skill set. Um, so now, this is just one piece of what Bentonville is known for. How, how much more is there? Oh, you have days of riding uh, ahead of you for sure. I'm excited that you, you get to experience it. But um, I'd say you're, you're probably within riding distance, again, from our shop in downtown, uh, of a good... 70 uh, probably 70 or 80 miles of single track and a lot of it a lot of undulating terrain so um, it's that's a it's a hard 70 or 80 miles but we're about um, currently we're about five or six miles south of the back 40 you know it's about 40 to 50 miles of single track growing every day um, we are about a mile and a half uh, east of Kohler Mountain Bike Park, which a lot mm -hmm. of people have probably seen a lot of uh, YouTube videos of that, uh, which is a lot of fun downhill, um, big drop type uh, sessioning park. And then, of course, we're right in the middle of uh, a really beautiful, um, I'd say sort of a hiking slash biking trail that is uh, really family friendly right now. Well, and the water here is just crystal clear. You know, it's it's just lovely. Yeah, yeah. this is the part you slow down at and, and take a minute to... Take a to, sip to, from your yeah, bottle. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, you took me through one little piece of a kind of uh, dirt jump track. How many different, you know, features like that are there around here? Um, it's hard to say because, uh, again, those are, those are growing pretty good. But, um, you know, obviously... In the in the direct Bentonville area, Kohler is probably the best for it. But you're you're probably looking at about three or four, what I would say, areas where you could do some tabletops in within riding distance, tabletop jumps or, or some uh, some wooden wooden drop features. But then we also have the rail yard in, in Rogers, which is about a, a 20 minute drive away, which is a 
uh, a dirt jump park, a, a legitimate dirt jump park, which is a, a lot of fun. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And you said there's a, a pump track for kids as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have, um, they have a pump track just uh, close to where we were at the phase one of Slaughter Pin. Uh, definitely kid-oriented. Um, they've put in a brand new BMX dirt, uh, or dirt pump track in Lowell, Arkansas, which is about south, probably about 20 minutes and a brand new one that I have yet to experience in the middle of the back 40 trail system in uh, Bella Vista. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Well, man, uh, this has been fantastic. I look forward to checking out more. Uh, thanks for taking me around today. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Cool. Yeah, so that was Max Sawyer from Fat Tire Bike Shop. It's a really cool shop in this old uh, previous turn of the century hotel, the Massey. Uh, it's being uh, renovated right now. I mean, it's one of those things. I'm starting to have fantasies of an office, you know, in the upstairs floors there. Oh, uh, yeah. And they've got a tap in the shop, by the way. So when you finish your ride and you go rolling in and you're completely thrashed, hmm. they have beer. A mountain, How awesome. mountain bike amusement park. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, everything is there. Just a toy land for people who love to ride fat tire. I, what stuns me is, you know, you can talk about how the quality of the trails and what they've done with the terrain and how they've really turned trail crews loose, you know, to build something interesting. All these berm turns and, you know, little t uh, tabletop jumps and whatnot. You know, none of the stuff I've encountered uh, so far is just completely crazy. But the fact that it's in such close proximity to the city uh, or town, this is, you know, this is a small place. Having it in such close proximity to the town is mind-blowing. I've, I mean, I've not even seen stuff like this in Germany, you know, and usually it's pretty easy to get out from a German town and get onto trails, but not like this, man. This place really is a mountain biking nirvana. It is so awesome that a place like that is growing out of what wouldn't necessarily be expected to be like that they're making the world a better place and not just in a trivial way i mean for the people who live there and for the people who are going to come there yeah that's awesome it, just fantastic it really is it, it's a it's a and they say that you know this effort uh combined with some other stuff has really given the town momentum in a huge way in mm -hmm. terms of you know developing you know uh new properties and you know renovating properties, uh, bringing new businesses in. It's, uh, it's a pretty synergistic effect. I've never seen a town in, in this sort of, uh, you know, level of excitement and kind of self-belief. Wow. What a great story. Um, kudos to you and congrats to you on getting to do so much fun writing. And that's a great thing to hear. Well, there's one downside. I only get, you have to leave. yeah, I'm, I'm only getting three <laughs> days of riding here. I went out after my morning ride I, and, you know, got back, had lunch, and then went out and hit this little flow trail by a school and sessioned that, I don't know, four or five times until I was just completely done. And then went over to Crystal Bridges, this art museum here that has a stunning collection of American art, like, like beyond unlikely for, you know, what you would expect to see you know, in, in a not major metropolitan museum. Yeah. All sorts of stuff, you know, Basquiat, uh, Gilbert Stewart, you know, Edward Hopper, just 
any number of incredible American artists and sometimes some really significant pieces. Very cool. Great, uh, great report on a really amazing place. So yeah, thanks for that, Patrick. And I don't think either Hottie or I feel bad for you about having to leave because we both know where you're going home to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you ain't got it so bad. Let's move on to the Paceline Picks. And Hottie, let's start with you today. Okay, guys. A bit of a serious pick for me because my Paceline Pick is all those people who are battling demons and finding a way just to keep moving forward. Now, this Paceline pick came to me after hearing the death of Chris Cornell. The front man for Soundgarden and Audio Slave hung himself after a long bout with depression and chemical dependency. Obviously, he is not the first, nor will he be the last to succumb to his demons. Yes, Cornell had a song called Pretty Noose, but no, it had nothing to do with suicide or even death. It was about a manipulative lover, but a strange irony. For a short time, Cornell did find relief. In the early 2000s, Audio Slave bass player Tim Comerford got Chris into mountain biking. Cornell shopped at a store Patrick and I used to hang out at in Santa Monica. He rode the trails of the Santa Monica Mountains with bandmates. He had a stump jumper. He had a smile. He said getting fit again helped him control some of his problems. But at some point, Cornell fell off the bike and fell back into his old habits. Look, I don't pretend to know what it's like to struggle with mental illness or what it takes to quiet the chaos. I won't even dare say that the bike could have saved Chris Cornell. But I do know that this country, this society, does a pretty piss poor job of dealing with and treating mental illness. So if you have found something that's healthy that works, whether it be a bike or a pair of running shoes or the pool or a chessboard or whistling or whatever, we at the Paceline encourage you to keep doing it. Keep doing it now. Keep doing it after you find your peace. Patrick wrote an essay once called uh, There Will Be Chaos. It offers great advice for racing bikes and maybe better for dealing with life struggles. There will be chaos, so just keep pedaling. That's my paceline pick, guys. I know a little serious this time, but um, the for some reason the Cornell thing just uh, just hit me pretty hard, and I wanted to say something about that. Amen. Yeah, uh, right with you. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for that one, Hottie. Mine is uh, not quite so serious, but it's also not funny. I went this time for a paceline pick of the noun fatigue Um, because I am feeling that in such a huge way. Last weekend, guys, um, my team for the Rockwell Relay, uh, which is actually now called the Charity Vision Relay, renamed for its new uh, sponsor, Um, we went uh, to Moab on Friday afternoon. And two of us rode the 50 miles to, of the first leg. And then we stayed the night in, the, in uh, a hotel there, got up the next morning. And the other two on the team rode the 50-ish miles for the second leg. And then me and the other guy got out and did another 50. And we continued on this um, until we got to Tory, where we stayed the night got up the next morning, and continued riding. Uh, not a single one of us rode fewer than 250 miles that weekend on our road bikes. Wow. Um, if in, if you weren't riding, you were driving or supporting. So we kind of, uh, we had a huge weekend of road riding in the southern Utah desert, and it was glorious. 
and now I am completely exhausted. Uh, Jonathan Vodders told me after doing this that I should take two days off, which I did. And even after that, I am still feeling a little wooden. And that uh, complete, utter exhaustion is one of the things I love most about biking. So my pace line pick, fatigue. Very Patrick. cool. So I've been wearing a new kit from a European company called Emestina. And uh, this is, you know, by and large uh, unknown to most Americans, but they're making a push uh, to bring their clothing in here. They're going to be doing uh, a collection, a couple of collections, and I think they're going to be doing uh, a custom kit as well or offering custom work as well. Um, I've been really impressed. It's super nice quality stuff. The chamois is definitely a cut above relative to other stuff that I've worn in the last year. Um, you know, maybe not the very best, but you know, in that in that top three to top five of chamois that I've I've encountered in bibs lately. So I've been super impressed with this. The fit is very very good uh, for people looking for you know a fresh take and some fresh designs. They've got a, a very talented graphic designer doing their collections. Check them out, MS Tina. All right. A good set of pace line picks this week. Hmm. I think that's going to end it for this episode. Guys, thanks so much for uh, this really interesting episode. And for our listeners, thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed, do it for crying out loud. How many times do we have to ask you? For Patrick, Hottie, Fat, I am Vatty. <laughs> and you've been listening to The Pace Line. In my eyes, indisposed. In disguises no one knows Has the face lies the snake In the sun in my disgrace Boiling heat, a summer stench Neat the black, the sky looks stared Call my name through the cream and I'll Hear you scream again